Hello and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. Portfolio Manager of Fidelity Long Short Alternative Fund, David Way, joins the podcast today. There is a lot for portfolio managers to take in right now. Between the market moves and macro questions, including interest rates and world events, there are a lot of factors to analyze, figure out what matters, and invest accordingly. To Dave's advantage, running a liquid alt strategy allows him to own stocks he's both optimistic and pessimistic about. So today, we'll hear which opportunities Dave is excited about for the second half of 2023, and how liquid alternative strategies may fit into one's overall investment portfolio. Dave also shares his outlook for Canadian equities with host Pamela Ritchie. This podcast was recorded on June 27th, 2023. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada ULC or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or an endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. Hi, David. How are you? Hi, Pamela. How are you? Yeah, I'm very well. Very well. Nice to see you. Um, if we can go straight, David, to to the inflation discussion. So we see on an annual basis, sort of the slowest in two years, getting closer to that 3% that the Bank of Canada would like to see mid-year, sort of broadly there. It's still expensive, though, on a cost of capital basis for companies. So how, how do you sort of parse this data? Expected, good, still not good? What do you think? Yeah, it's a great question. And certainly a part of the investment process um, around my fund and, and my colleagues is, you know, considering these like macro factors and impact on the fund. And I think one of the key things that we've seen this year is we have seen a March lower in inflation rates, and today's reading certainly continues that trend. You know, with the offset, of course, being that the expectation of interest rate um, direction moving from the market expecting cuts to um, continued increases um, from you know central banks globally, and we've seen particularly in the last month or two some surprise rate increases, whether it's Bank of England or Bank of Canada or, or the Fed coming out somewhat more hawkish than people expected. So I think it's kind of been a, a tale of two tapes, which is inflation is coming down. Um, you know, maybe the sort of the easy improvements have been made, um, whereas the central banks still recognize a need to bring inflation down to uh, more moderate numbers. So um, from a fund perspective, I think people have done a really good job of, you know, repricing interest costs on debt, et cetera. And what remains to be seen is sort of the, the second order impacts on demand um, that a credit tightening event um, is likely to have. So that's where the hard and interesting work comes for um, individual stock investors. So just remind us, so Canada's in this particular uh, point in its fight against inflation. Um, how does your fund work in a moment like this? I might just say broadly, how does your fund work? But but kind of set us up for how it works in a market like this, taking, you know, keeping an eye on where Canada is. Yeah, great question. And I think the, uh, you know, the interesting part of uh, what I get to do on a day-to-day -day basis is uh, run a long short fund. Um, 
It's uh, largely focused on North America, so it does include Canada and the US. Um, and what this fund is really set up to do is invest on the long side in terms of you know, owning more of uh, the best and bright ideas that our analyst team comes up with, um, as well as my own sort of portfolio construction. And then on the short side, uh, you know, betting against companies where I think you know, expectations could be uh, too high or where there are risks lingering under the surface that are going to come up to the surface and cause negative outcomes for stocks, as well as being able to short stocks that you know, allow me to hedge out certain risks. Like maybe there's an interest rate impact on real estate, for example, um, where that causes me to be negative on certain stocks, um, but positive on others. So I can go long the stock that I'm excited about and short the company that I'm nervous around and, and therefore sort of hedge out some of the risk uh, related to interest rates. But, you know, really, I think in an environment like this where we're seeing, you know, inflation come down, um, you know, people start to get a little bit more nervous about what growth looks like over the next 18 months, um, as well as seeing shorter term interest rates continue to peak up. I think it really favors an environment where you're able to kind of play both sides of the market um, and have sort of a broad investment opportunity set in front of you. So does it also fit with that discussion of diversification sort of being your friend in a market like this? Yeah, absolutely. You want to be able to look into, you want a diverse set of opportunities. I think like as a fund manager, it's really important for me to be able to build a portfolio that I think can be resilient um, through periods of uncertainty, um, as well as through periods of optimism. Like I think we've seen more recently around um, the market sort of willingness to look a little bit further ahead and see sort of the other side of this rate and inflation cycle. Um, and I think that's some of the optimism that's being built into the market today. So I kind of get to play in both worlds. I can be uh, yeah. both optimistic and um, you know, manage risk on sort of the same plane. It's been a wild ride since you launched this fund, I have to say. I mean, didn't you launch it just before the pandemic? I got that right, or maybe that was the pilot version. But in any case, you sort of veered into a crazy pandemic world and then and then came out of it thinking at certain points. Like, just, just give us the history. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think I've been in the, the investment business. Uh, I think, you know, I started the investment business in 2001, was uh, my first job. And I feel like I've got more experience in the last three years than I got in the, the first you know, 17 or 18. Um, and it's true. We've been through a lot um, through the market. Um, I started, I was an analyst at Fidelity from 2007 through 2018. I started working on this product in late 2018, 20, early 2019, and launched the fund to the public in late 2020. Um, and really, I've got to see it all. I've got to see, you know, higher growth in 2019, the COVID drawdown, the ultimate recovery, and then obviously the tech rack um, more recently, and then sort of the tech recovery and market recovery that we've seen since the October low. So I would say that this uh, fund and its relatively shorter tenure has been tested across a range of economic environments. So tell us a little bit, let's dive into some of the stories within either the sectors, uh, market caps, opportunity. I mean, how much of what you do is okay, this is what interest rates are doing, therefore the banks one way or the other. How much of it is actually kind of a special situation? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. And, you know, I think one of the things that, um, you know, having the privilege to invest in Canada, that's great, is that we get to access, you know, what I think is a pretty strong banking system. So, you know, we can talk about housing, we can talk about the impact of rates, we can talk about what that means 
you know, over, say, the next couple of years as we kind of go through a more challenging period of, you know, refinancings that likely need to happen in the market and dealing with variable rate insurance. Um, and so it's really important to be, you know, focused on what that means, both in the micro individual company analysis, as well as the macro. And I think what that allows me to do by being sort of like macro aware, but really focused on stocks is that I can ask myself, okay, so we believe that the Canadian banking system, you know, has a lot of um, strength to it. And we've seen in recent weeks, the OSFI come out with an additional capital buffer that was not anticipated, but is intended to strengthen bank balance sheets and resilience to, you know, whatever lies ahead of us from a, a credit experience perspective. Um, and so that's something that can be reassuring to uh, investors. And, you know, for myself as well, one of the other great benefits of investing in Canada is that there are a number of great industries, even though it's a relatively small market versus the U.S., one of the things that we enjoy are really good companies with high returns on capital. And so being able to access those investments in the fund was something that was really important to me um, as well in sort of designing the strategy. And so what you're trying to do as a portfolio manager is be aware of the macro environment, particularly for those companies that can be really affected by changes in economic conditions, whether it's you know the valuations, that they can earn in the market or their actual underlying earnings power. And so it's our work as portfolio managers and analysts to really dig down and say, okay, what is the macro exposure to this company? Um, does that matter more than say the competitive dynamics in the industries that could drive you know, revenue growth and margins to be meaningfully different than what's expected from them over the next couple of years? It's, it's sort of amazing to see you know how it ultimately can be used. So you mentioned you mentioned the banks there. Um, a lot of Canadian companies obviously are multinational, and there are the, the domestic industries that are much more focused here in Canada. Is is there one that you prefer? I don't know if it comes from where the Canadian dollar is headed, one way or the other. I mean, how do you look at sort of the more domestically focused and then the multinational opportunities? Yeah, I think from a bank's perspective, I, I think what I can say is as of the last disclosure, you know, there was really only, you know, one Canadian bank that was in my my top 10. Um, and when I think about the opportunity set, one of the challenges is we do face, you know, a relatively high inflation environment, more interest rate sensitivity. Um, and so in general, it's been the case that there have been better opportunities for the fund. Um, beyond Canadian banks in terms of how they've been represented in the fund. Um, and one of the freeing aspects of managing a fund like this is that um, I am able to make uh, bigger decisions around, you know, whether, you know, to own the Canadian banks or not. It's really, you know, just one pocket of the market relative to, you know, a broad opportunity set, both in financials and also, you know, in the broader um, sectors as well. Yeah, amazing. Um, in terms of sort of old cycle, new cycle, uh, maybe I'll get your thoughts on where you think we are in the cycle, first of all, and then we can put in the the building blocks of, of sort of how that might work strategically. But um, what do you see sort of on the horizon for equities? Many will say equities, in fact, have discounted the recessionary talk or on the other side in terms of valuations. What do you think of that? And, and therefore, what does leadership potentially look like? Yeah, I mean, I feel like the, the cycle right now feels a little bit more like a roller coaster than um, <laughs> you know, some of the traditional shapes. But, I, you know, if you, if you really just try to keep things simple, where we are, it seems, is in a tug of war between, you know, optimism about what lies ahead in terms of, 
you know, cyclical strength that comes when we finally get inflation under control. And the market is, you know, trying to trying to think optimistically about that. And obviously, the AI boom, um, you know, whether you want to call it optimism, bubble, um, you know, scam, whatever, um, you know, people can come up with their own sort of ideas about, you know, how much it's going to meaningfully impact the market. But clearly, there is some optimism around, you know, the ability of a new trend to transcend sort of the, um, you know, the cyclical pressures that we might face from thinking about credit tightening and um, just, you know, cost and availability of money. And so from a fund perspective, I think where we are, or at least where I'm trying to position the fund for, is, you know, some optimism about the future. Like, there are a number of sectors, and I, I've talked about them before. You know, you can use the automotive industry as an example, where it's effectively been in recession for three years. Um, anyone who tries to go buy a car um, can understand that there are very few deals to be had. Um, and in many, the case of many popular models, um, you should consider yourself lucky just to be able to find um, the vehicle that you're looking for. Um, and so I think what's really important is to understand that there's a broader market cycle, but when you really drill down into the individual sectors, it's possible to identify opportunities where you can have some confidence that you know, the cyclical trend is really um, in your favor and that we're early cycle on an improving trend um, in, a, in a few areas of the market. And you know, that's the, again, sort of the job of the portfolio manager is to really, when you're making cyclical bets, try to invest where you know, the fundamentals and individual supply demand um, trends for an individual subsector are really in your favor relative to placing bigger bets. Like within machinery, you're betting that, you know, construction equipment demand is going to remain really strong and that these companies are going to be able to earn, you know, the, the historically high margins that they earned during COVID when it was very difficult um, to get any of their machines. Yeah. So fascinating. I, I, I think we might come back to AI in a sec because there's probably more on that. Lots of likes on the, on the question of really the Bank of Canada. We saw some headlines, you know, in the last sort of 48 hours about, well, 5% must be it. But then you wonder, <laughs> I mean, it was a good inflation print this morning, but nobody really knows where that's all going. So this question, sort of in light of that, do you see the risk of default bankruptcies given the continued rise in rates? What are management teams saying? Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a really good question. And I think what we've really are what we're really going through now um, is experiencing the first order impacts of higher interest rates. So if there's an individual or a company that you know meaningfully overpaid for an acquisition in 2021 using a lot of leveraged at variable rates, um, you're really seeing the pinch in earnings power coming through now because the cost of their debt has immediately repriced. Cash flow gets squeezed on higher interest costs, and so the company is then either in distress or not. Um, what we're likely to see over the sort of forthcoming, you know, four to six quarters is the second-order impacts of higher rates in terms of tightening or constraining demand, which is really what the central banks are trying to do when they are trying to raise rates to bring the economy back into balance. And that's probably where we're more likely to see surprises. And um, commercial real estate is very topical for a lot of people. Um, we're starting to see emerging um, default risk around um, certain properties in certain marketplaces that are of a certain quality. And so it's an area to watch because you know, banks in general do tend to own those loans. Um, and also, 
um, there's a lot of maturities uh, coming forward in, say, you know, 2025 to 2027. And so we're going to start hearing more about that over the next year. And um, when you look at the public stocks, a lot of these companies have been significantly um, discounted. Um, So is that priced in? I mean, that's what I was wondering, because it kind of has it. I mean, to some, it looks like it is priced in. Yeah, I mean, I think on some of the um, certainly on some of the public equities, um, they've decline materially in price, like they're down by, you know, more than 65%, um, really showing only a sliver of residual value left. Like there's a lot of debt, not a lot of equity value, um, and and a real estate portfolio underlying that. And so what we haven't seen yet is a a lot of transactions. Um, And so one of the interesting things, you know, this week, very topical, is we've seen both an industrial portfolio um, trade, Blackstone sold a $3 billion portfolio to Prologis, a very healthy price, um, 4% discount rate. So um, the properties are still being valued at you know, roughly at or above what uh, people were thinking on these types of assets might trade at. Um, and then we've seen also a couple of um, office transactions, um, 245 Park in New York, which you know sold at an okay price, but really just helps the landlord lift to fight another day. And so, you know, the office market remains clearly challenged. Um, and so I think we are going to see um, some challenges, particularly in lower office uh, quality uh, type buildings as, you know, many central business districts continue to run at like, you know, 50 to 55% occupancy. Yeah, it's an amazing story. And I'm sort of watching what's happening, what will happen, and then what's way on the other side of that. And I know yeah. that's strategy you can you can take a look at. Here's a great question on energy. Um, how do you look at energy in this environment? Uh, how are you looking at it longer term? We know we know the story of energy and you know it's been a big story in, in how inflation has come down, not core. But um, where does it stand now, do you think? It's a it's an interesting asset class because one of the things that uh, attracted me to energy when I was launching the fund was the fact that energy is is one of the few asset classes that actually tend to do well when there's inflation, um, and one of the great things about Canada is we have you know a really excellent energy industry um, with lots of different types of companies to choose from, either sort of like you know kind of higher beta type companies as well as you know companies that have long life assets, uh, low cash costs, and really the ability to weather all cycles and still generate you know, attractive returns for investors. And so um, three years ago, the fundamentals for energy were pretty bad. Demand was low, supply was high, so prices were low. And I owned the stocks because I felt that they were an inflation hedge. And kind of fast forward through today where we're, you know, potentially coming out the other side in terms of the inflation pressures we've seen, um, which would put some pressure on energy companies. We have seen um, a number of um, chemicals companies globally uh, issue profit warnings in the last uh, couple of weeks. So that really does tell you that there is a weakening of the broader energy and chemicals complex. Um, and that it's not just sort of merely like energy demand alone that is um, driving some of the weakness in prices. Um, and so, you know, what we're doing now is, you know, looking through our companies and, you know, reassessing the balance sheets and, you know, looking for opportunities as we go through what could be a period of weaker energy demand. And, you know, the direction of travel of commodity prices is, is really hard to predict. Um, I was a commodities analyst uh, when I first joined Fidelity. And so I, I learned that firsthand. 
Um, and so what you're really looking for is when you know supply demand is really in your favor. And you know what we're seeing right now is it does appear that you know supply is a little bit more robust um, than demand in the in the current environment. So it, it may favor a more um, you either need to take a longer term um, view on the commodity or you know have a different view on shorter term supply demand for energy. And as it relates to longer term, we're clearly in a decarbonization trend uh, globally. Um, I think that is you know part of, partly like inevitable. The pace, direction, and shape of how that takes place, I think, is still you know under construction. Um, but I think it, it is. A, you know, really meaningful opportunity for the Canadian energy producers, um, you know, to be in a, um, you know, favorable and friendly political environment, um, taking action to uh, decarbonize the oil sands, which, you know, there are a number of, you know, technical plans and industry-wide partnerships that are underway to try to affect that. And I think it's important that that work continues. Like, regardless of, you know, you're thinking around the topic, this is a trend. It's something that companies, you know, are very likely going to need to do to continue to participate in the global economy. And so I think these kinds of initiatives will only serve to strengthen, you know, Canada's position as an oil exporter longer term. Um, in the longer term, it's been interesting, again, you know, the strength of, of equities, parts of the equity market anyway, um, over the course of the last six months, the first half, we're pretty much wrapping up the first half here. Have you been surprised at the long side of your portfolio? I wonder, I wonder if you can talk about sort of long versus short, uh, what you've seen and where you go from here? Yeah, certainly I've been surprised at the strength of the overall market indices, um, to be quite honest. I think, you know, from a fund positioning perspective, at the end of the the last disclosure period, I believe my net exposure was somewhere around 80%. So that meant that I had, I think it was a little more than 100% of the fund that was long and around, you know, a little more than 20% of the fund that was short. And so I, I wasn't fully exposed to the market, I guess, as even in, in October. And you know, one of the one of the great things of this fund is that I can play offense in different ways. And some of the longs have been able to, you know, help with the fact that I remain sort of at the time, like it, call it 80% exposed to the market. So if I if I wasn't surprised, then I should be 100% uh, exposed to the market. So you know, clearly, I I thought the sort of higher for longer camp on rates would win and that that would put a dampening measure onto, onto you know, sort of overall equity levels. Um, and it's sort of proven both to be the case that we are in a higher for longer scenario. So people who thought we were in a, a pause and cut scenario are wrong, um, but the markets kind of powered through that. And I think sort of enthusiasm around artificial intelligence um, has really helped that because we have seen, particularly in the U.S., um, returns for the overall index be concentrated in, in just a handful of names. That's fascinating. Uh, a couple other questions. So this has to do with sort of general turnover. So maybe your your yep. general look at that, but also specifically if you've got cash on hand ready to deploy. Uh, tell us a bit about cash and also your general turnover. Um, you know how you do things. Sure. From a from a turnover perspective, you're really looking at two parts of the portfolio: the long portfolio and the short portfolio. Ideally, I'm turning the short portfolio over um, 100% a year. Um, so I've had some shorts that I've had in place for a couple of years. Obviously, as we go through different market circumstances, you know, shorts go from being good shorts to bad shorts to good shorts. And so it's, uh, it's much shorter dated in terms of my um, 
investment thesis in terms of catalysts that I'm looking for. You know, I'm generally looking for the company to show weakness in two to three quarters, um, or for a company just to grow more slowly than the market expects over, say, two to three years. And so when you kind of put, put that all together, you kind of end up in a turnover ratio target of around 100%. And on the long side, you know, it's really, again, it's, it's, there's a few different factors at work. There are some companies that you know, I think I'll probably end up holding for many years and there's companies that I'll own for less than a year. Um, but my turnover tends to run, you know, call it 50 to 75% in terms of, you know, what I'm looking for as a target. Because one of the things you're doing, and this kind of gets to the cash part of the question, you're always looking at new companies. Like in the next 24 hours, like we've got a bunch of analyst meetings, I'm hosting two companies myself. Um, and so, the activity of a portfolio manager is always turning over more rocks. And like that's what you know gets me jumping out of bed in the morning. And so you're always looking at new ideas, you're revisiting stocks that maybe you sold or didn't buy at the time. And so you're what I always try to do is say, like, when I have this new idea, what does it look better than? Does it look better than a position I already hold? Or are my the positions that I hold, are they already offering you know attractive risk return that I can hold them and then I deploy more cash? Um, so I try to look at each stock individually, and mostly when I'm buying new stocks, I'm I'm deploying cash um, because I've tended to have it in the last year. Um, but a lot of times, you know, you'll find a new idea, and you're like, "Hey, this stock's better than a stock that is already in my portfolio." It kind of ticks all the same boxes. Maybe it's in the same industry. Maybe it's a little bit different. Um, but I'm gonna like you know sell that stock and buy this one because it has better risk reward. So it's sort of like, you know, the Warren Buffett thing about trying to find 50 cent dollars. And as the 50 cent dollar gets revalued higher, then you're looking for new 50 cent dollars. So sort of renewal is sort of the key part of um, any, I think, um, good investors process. And it's certainly a part of mine. So you've got a couple of companies that you you personally are hosting. Um, what do you serve? What kind of food do you serve? Do you have an array? Do you have <laughs> choices? I'm always curious about well, I think it's it's harder to uh, send food over Zoom these days. Um, oh, it indeed so is. Yeah, it, it is true. I'm actually hosting. It. We have um, three summer interns working with us this summer, and I'm I'm doing a, a mentorship lunch today. And so, the order of the day is, is uh, healthy food. Excellent. That's excellent. Tell us a little bit about this strategy and whether it can or can't. You know, where does it fit? Can it be core? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I certainly don't recommend this for uh, most investors, um, but I. Personally, I have 100% of my investable assets invested in this fund. Um, you know, I'm taking, I'm taking a two-year time horizon in terms of how I'm trying to think about delivering on the promise of the fund, which is, you know, providing more attractive returns that you can get in the market at uh, lower than market volatility. I think that's been the unit holder experience so far. And when I get to work every day, this is kind of what I have in my head about what I want to deliver for myself and my fellow unit holders. And you know, really with an eye of, if you can achieve success over that kind of time period, then the ability sort of to compound your money over time, over 10 to 15 years, um, becomes a very powerful driver for delivering that capital appreciation part of an investor's portfolio. And I think when I look at what this product brings to the table for investors, it's the return profile, um, the lower risk in terms of you know, being that fund, uh, where if there are challenges in the market, you know, which is a code word for the market going down, that this is a fund that's demonstrating strength. This is a, a bright spot in the 
portfolio that you can point to to say, hey, we're protecting capital and we're positioned well for when things get better. Uh, because you don't have to guess when to own this fund. Like This isn't like a fund to only own when the market's going up. This isn't a fund to only own when the market's going down. You know, I think this is an all-weather strategy that kind of delivers at both ends of the market. And you, know, you, you can look at the history of the fund to decide you know, whether it's uh, suitable for your clients. Great, you brought a little brightness to our day. Thank you, David. It's great to see you and it was good to catch up. Yeah, thanks for your time. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. Fidelity mutual funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash how to buy for more information. And while visiting fidelity.ca, you can also find information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again. See you next time.